0: Welcome, Rink rats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Rinkcast Episode 11, exclusively sponsored by the Premium Hockey Outfitters at hawkhockey.com. That's P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Make sure you use that discount code, THE RINK, for all of your orders to get 10% off. Today is Thursday, January 11th, 2017, and I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. What's up, jerks? I am joined here by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jacob. Hello, sir.
1: Hey.
0: Hey. Seriously, these potato heads have to be the unsexiest mob of all time. And together, you and I are the most trusted sources at the newest hockey hangout, the-rink.com. Today, later in the show, we will be joined by... Mr. Justin Goldman from the Goalie Guild. I will uh go through his accolades a little later, but uh for now. We have some uh a lot of Blackhawk stuff that's happened uh in the past week, actually. Some games happened, some moves happened, big moves happened, little moves happened. So uh, we, we got a lot going on here. Um so let's let's kind of get right into it. Um Blackhawks, uh they lost to the Golden Knights, they beat the Oilers, they who beat the Ottawa Senators. They actually shellacked the Ottawa Senators. And uh, last night, they lost the uh, Wild. Um, I don't know. I, over the last week, I mean, you know, they kind of came crashing back down to earth. They only beat the Oilers. Uh, I mean, they, they they beat Ottawa, but Ottawa was just, they were demoralized. So um, I don't, what what what's your impression of what happened over this last week, John?
1: Uh, I actually think they're playing better um as a team. I, I think that uh you know the, the, the Vegas game was disappointing. Um you know they it, 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 both games against Vegas this year have been disappointing. You know the Vegas is a team that works hard and they work hard from horn to horn, whistle to whistle to use a cliche. But uh <laughs> that's what they do. And the Hawks don't always do that. And um I think uh, you know this this Hawks team I mean you know Stan Bowman as uh, Bob McKenzie pointed out between periods last night of the of the broadcast on NBC Sports, he's making this roster a lot younger. And in so doing, you know, a lot of these guys need to learn how to play as professionals and what that means. And, um, you know, so Joel Quinville has his work cut out for him. I mean, but overall, I think the team is playing better. Um, I am becoming a big, big fan of David Camp. I, I feel like adding him and what he does has... Really taking a load off of Jonathan Taves, so that's helping that first line get going. I think has H- H- helped there too, some. But uh, Taves and Sod are starting to look like Taves and Sod again, and that's really good news for this team. Power play starting to look a lot better. New scheme on the power play. Um, you know, they've got a guy in the slot now, so they're going three across with forwards, and then a guy down low, and then they've got one guy up top, and it's it's Osterley, and that's really been been working well. We can talk about that some. Um, I, I I applaud and support the decision to, uh, close the chapter on the Jeff Glass story for now, at least, and get (laughs) Anthony Forsberg back in there. And we'll talk about him with Justin, I'm sure. But I think Forsberg overall has looked very good. I think we saw a little bit of bad Forsberg last night, his tendency to overplay pucks a little bit, um, uh, reminds me of a younger version of a goal that we were just talking about, Craig Anderson from Ottawa. Craig used to do that too. When he first came up, he would overplay stuff, but, uh, um, Forsberg also makes some, some pretty darn nice saves at times too. I think he, I, I still think he has a lot of talent and I think, um, he's well worth the investment on the, uh, on the part of the team and, and he's played well. I mean, overall he's played well, his numbers for the year is starting to really, uh, improve and, um, you know, he's winning some games now and, um, yeah, he had a couple of, a couple of me so-so goals last night but i'm you know when you score one goal you're probably gonna lose yeah yeah i i um i I
0: know we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna get really deep dive more into the goalie stuff and i know justin has a lot of stories he's he's really excited about the stuff that we're gonna talk about later so um stay tuned for that but so i don't want to get too deep into the goalies but i think we were all glad that after that uh that night's game where where jeff glass just kind of played okay he did all right um that they kind of put that, that, that experiment to bed, you know, close the glass door per se. (laughs) Uh, because I mean, you know, he, they caught lightning in a bottle for a couple of games, but, um, people were getting way out of hand with this and it, it, as they do with prospects, as they do with anything, yeah, they fly off the handle about, you know, a guy having two or three good games, all of a sudden he's going to be in the hall of fame. So, um, You know, they, he was okay. He, he, he isn't going to kill you as a backup. He is not an NHL starter. He's not even a full-time NHL backup. So he just is okay.
1: Um, Good guy. Good story. Yeah. Um, I think he was, he gets beaten high on the stick side quite a bit and uh, you know, um, goes down real fast. Yeah. Um, You know, and he's flawed. I mean, he flops around a little bit and he gives up a lot of rebounds, but you know, the, guy, the guy's worked hard, and it's a great story, and I wouldn't take anything away from him. But uh, I think they got the guy in there they need to have in there for now, because this is a guy also who has upside. I mean, if Forsberg really starts to clean up his game, I think I think the Hawks are going to have some with him, because I think he's got some talent. But, right. You know, I, I know very little about goaltending, relatively speaking. So Me too. I'm going to defer to <laughs> Justin, uh, but that's not so true. Um, but uh, anyway, so... Uh, the game last night, I really feel like the Hawks came out well. I think that they lost their legs. You know, it's the second of a back-to-back away at home, and I think they lost their legs in the second and third period, and I think that's part of the reason they lost. Yeah. Um, not to be an apologist, but I actually I – I think overall that they are playing better of late. I'm encouraged. Um, again, I think camp has had a lot to do with it. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh,
0: now, uh, you know, talking about camp, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, – he, uh you know he he showed a lot in in the preseason but it just it was a numbers game uh as far as it, as far as things went where he had to be sent down but um I think and and we're gonna talk about this later um but I think the emergence of David camp made Lauren dauphin a little yeah. more expendable I agree and uh just, just showing that he could come up that he could hang he's not gonna come up and he's score a bunch of goals for you but he's going to do things that uh, Joel Quinville really likes.
1: Well, and, and things that Joel Quinville had no choice but to have Jonathan Taves do, like take defensive zone draws and uh, penalty kill draws and penalty kill minutes. And uh, my theory was, and I said this in that, that article I posted about Taves a couple of weeks ago, that you got him off the penalty kill, you were gonna, you might start to see some improvement. And that's exactly what's happened. And I'm not saying I, I think he probably still is having some shifts in the penalty kill, but he's not, I don't think he's playing nearly as much as he was uh, three, four weeks ago. And, um, you know, as a result, you're seeing him start to look like the Taves of old. And, you know, there was a goal the other night, and I forget which game it was. Um, but Taves and Sa just dominated possession in the offensive zone for about 45 seconds. And it was all puck possession and hard, grindy work. And the puck was going back and forth between the two of them. And they kicked it out to Osterley, and Osterley buried it. And I'm, you, I'm sure you probably remember the goal, but yeah. but I was just, but watching those two work, it was like 2015 again. And they've been doing more of that lately. And, um, you know, henestroza using that speed to get behind defensemen, kicks the puck out to the two of them and gets out of the way, you know? Yeah, and right. uh, that's great. It's great that he's doing that. And um, he's piling up some points too, but doing that he's smart. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I'm really encouraged by that. Um, you know, the cane line's been really good. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I mean, there's, there's a lot to to feel good about. I think we can, you know, we're, I don't, I don't know if we're going to talk about, um, uh, what's his name, our guy, Franson going down to, uh, going down to Rockford, but that maybe that's something we could talk about too. And how the defense is starting to look now. So.
0: Well, yeah, now there's one thing I am going to disagree with you on, and that's the power play. Don't do it. Um, you know, um, they looked good against Ottawa, but Ottawa was a bad team. I mean, they were just terrible all around from top to bottom. They scored four goals and they stomped Ottawa. It, and it's like they did a couple times this year where they've stomped teams that just were not ready to play. And yeah. uh bumslayed. But if you look at like the against the Golden Knights, they were over two on the power play. If you look against the Oilers, they were over three on the power play. If you look last night against the Wild, they were over over three on the power play, I believe. And all they needed to do last night was score once on that power play and they tied that game. They get that extra point and they didn't do that. So I'm
1: going to, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to disagree with you. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree that the, the results aren't exactly piling up on the power play, but the puck movement overall looks better. Osterley does things on the point that Duncan Keith doesn't do. And that's not to say Osterley's is a better defenseman than Duncan Keith. He's not, but um, I, I, I do think that they're starting to do something. I like the new scheme on the power play, but no, the, in, in terms of uh, outside of the auto game, no, they haven't really racked up the goals yet, but, um, I actually think their ranking has come up a little bit too, um, last, last week or two. So they're, they're doing something better.
0: When you score four power play goals in one game, that is going to happen too. So, yeah, I mean, that yeah. helps, you know, and, and that's what you got to do. You got to score when a team isn't ready to play, you have to go out there and stop them. And the Blackhawks yeah. did do that. So, you got to give them credit. You can't, you can't, but, you know, again, it was Ottawa. They're a team who was on, you know, ready to start selling off their assets, and uh, they just were yeah. not ready to play that night. So, uh, they got kind of, uh, you know, everything, all the, all the planets aligned in that game, and everything was working. Everything they were doing was working.
1: Well, I think we're going to find out tomorrow night because the Hawks are going to be playing a pretty good team tomorrow night. Yeah. And, uh, now the Hawks, when they went up there to Winnipeg a few weeks ago, they, they did play pretty well. Yeah. I think that was the start of a, of a, a real strong streak. So, you know, we'll see. I, I think Winnipeg will be coming in looking for a little revenge. They're going to have uh, big 33 back in there. And um, I, I don't know what Enstrom's status is for the game, but uh, um, so they probably will be, will be healthier than when the Hawks saw them, but uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah you know, and again circling back you were you were mentioning the faceoffs too um a couple a couple of numbers that that are, look very promising and we've harped on this for years now um with the, with the the faceoff numbers uh you were saying the faceoff number the faceoffs are looking better and they are um yeah. against the knights they won 55% against yep. the oilers they won 60% against ottawa they were just over 50% and then yesterday against the wild they were I believe it was 60%, uh, 56% yesterday. So they've been above, above for, you know, above 50% for at least four straight games. They may have been before that. I didn't even dig, dig back all the way. So those are all promising, promising things for the Blackhawks. uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, just, uh, some little, uh, some little notes as far as the games go, we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap these games up right here. Um, Basically, against the Golden Knights, 5-4 loss. Uh, They uh, hit Astrosa, Sharp, Schmaltz, and Taze. All had goals. Uh, The Blackhawks battled back. Uh, It was 4-4 in the third period, or it was 4-3 in the third period, and then they blew the lead. Um, Then uh, the Oilers, they beat the Oilers 4-1. Forsberg was finally back in net. Hawks goals by Schmaltz, who's been absolutely on fire uh to Osterley, sad another guy who's been on fire Osterley, who seems to be like the oiler killer he's gonna go you know uh mm-hmm. he's gonna score every time they play against edmonton apparently uh mcdavid was held in check connor murphy was a healthy scratch for uh cody franzen but as we're going to talk about a little later <laughs> cody franzen's kind of the back of mind right now uh the ottawa game uh the big news for that game was brent seabrook being the healthy scratched um but goals, panic, sharp. Schmaltz had two power play goals. Taze had two goals. Rude had a power play goal, and Kane had a power play goal. Kane had five points on the night, which was a career high. Uh, Gustafson and Yurko, who we'll talk a little bit later, didn't play yet. Uh, Blackhawks did score their five, uh, four power play goals. And then uh, yesterday, they did the 2-1 loss to uh, the Wild. The Blackhawks did definitely. I mean, there were some questionable... Um, I would say maybe questionable lineup decision with only with dressing seven defensemen. Then you have to double shift a, a, a Patrick Kane, who played the night before. Um, I don't some of that's kind of wonky. I don't I don't uh, you know, maybe it had to do with the the move that happened, but they have Yerko sitting there. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but sure. uh, yeah, something was weird um, yesterday, but. Um, a quick thing that I, I do want to mention, and I, I'm sure Justin will probably talk about this a little bit, and, and that was the Forsberg thing. You kind of brought up the goalie thing. And I, I kind of tried to explain this in my notes today um, with with the Forsberg thing. Yes, the two goals did not look pretty, um, for sure. But if you count up, you know, he, he gave up two goals, but if you count up the three breakaways that he stopped plus all the yeah. grade A high danger chances that he stopped, I mean... Right then and there, uh, you know, he's, he's in the plus category because though, you know, those high, da- high danger, that's a 50, 50 thing. And, and breakaways are the same way. 50, 50. I mean, you, you, you know, if, if, if he stops two or four breakaways, that's great. He stopped all three. Yeah. So yeah. like,
1: I mean, I mean Forsberg, yeah. he, and he may, he makes some, some pretty, out, pretty, uh, outstanding saves in pressure situations and he competes, you know, and, uh, um, that overplaying is something that can be he can be coached through that. Um, so I, I I still feel like I I felt like in the beginning with that trade with the Panarin Saad trade that if if Forsberg was able to to blossom and really achieve his potential that 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 was going to be a win for Chicago and um, I, I I still feel like they got to have they got to have some patience with him let him play especially now with Crawford being out um, and uh, see what see we see if you can develop them. I mean. I, listen, I love the Scott Darling story, and uh, um, I'm glad that he's making all the money he's making in Carolina. But you know, I get so tired of people beating up Forsberg because he's not Darling. I mean, give me a break. I mean, you know. And the other thing people don't realize is that Forsberg had a much more impressive resume that he brought to Chicago um, as a pro than Darling did. I mean, I mean, what, that's part of the Darling story is he came out of nowhere. But Forsberg, I mean, he won a Calder Cup in the AHL last year, and that's not easy to do, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, and uh, that's as, that was as a starter, and yeah. um, I think he's, what, like 22 years old? I mean, um, and by all, every scouting report I've ever read on him from people who know goalies say he has a lot of talent. He just, he's 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 rough, yeah. rough around the edges.
0: Which so. is going to happen. I mean, that's going to happen with any young goalie. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean... Well, be patient with him, you know, because I mean, really, honestly, at this point in time, if you look at the roster and the way it's laid out, as far as goaltending depth goes, Anton Forsberg is the future of this franchise right now, right now. Right he's now. the future. So yeah. be patient because Jeff Glass is not the future of this franchise. Corey Crawford, give or take. We don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of weirdness going on with the Corey Crawford situation and it's not anything that, Possibly. you
1: know, yeah, it's Possibly. not even
0: Yeah. No, go ahead. What are you going to say?
1: No, I just possibly there's some weirdness. We don't know. We yeah. don't know the whole story. So. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We've heard some things, but we we don't we don't know the whole story. So. Very
0: yeah, very few whispers and nothing of any and nothing concrete. Everyone is very tight lipped, which is very odd. And yeah, uh, that that's what I will say about that. It's it's it, it's an odd situation that no one knows really honestly what's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's just weird. So who knows? You know, I mean. This year, they may they may again uh, investigate what we had talked about last summer with, you know, getting rid of Corey Crawford. Yeah, right. Um, and I'm not they, saying it could happen, but it could.
1: Speaking of face-offs, not to, uh, yeah. to do a switchback here, but I did pull up the Hawks face-off numbers. And David Camp 51.7%. That's pretty good. That that right there, I mean, in terms of the overall team numbers, and he's taken a lot of draws. Um since he's been up and you know, that's, that's pushing 52%. That's huge because there was nobody on this team for the, for the last couple of years. Um, ever since Kruger hurt his wrist, um, there's been nobody on this team who's been able to, to be consistently over 50%.
2: And Nisimov's
1: having a career year at 47. Um, I can't even find Schmaltz on here. He's like, (laughs) where's Schmaltz? Schmaltz is, uh, 40%. Terrible. Yeah. So well, I think some right, of that was Wendell's, I think some
0: of that might have been earlier in the year. He's been better lately.
1: Yeah, Wheels sure. is forty-five. He's not really a natural center. Um, gotta love him. But David Camp, fifty-two percent, and he's he's playing those shorthanded situations uh, where those faceoffs really matter. Because um, I'll I'll be the first to admit there are times there are times in games where faceoffs don't really matter, but shorthanded in your own end, boy, do they matter you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's, so that's, I just, I just found that stat and I wanted to share that. That's, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one, one actually, uh, one small move that, that, that they actually had, which it, it, it seemed like a big move at the time um, was the Blackhawks sent down John Hayden uh, uh-huh. and they waived Cody Franzen because you have to wave him to send him down to Rockford. And uh, then they recalled Thomas Yurko and Eric Gustafson, which seemed to be like the big thing at the time. But uh, as of yet, we have we have not seen Thomas Yurko and we have not seen Eric Gustafson on, on the ice, which is kind of odd to me. But whatever. Um, John Hayden, he is what he is. He's one of the few waiver exempt people on the team. Yeah. So if you're going to send someone down, he's the one that's at the bottom of the totem pole. We, even if you like what he does and we we do. But, you know, it just it's there's only so many people you can send down. You're not going to send down to You're not going to send down Schmaltz. You know, and they're not going to send down Henestroza who seems to have, you know, lit a fire under the first line. Like, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so, but Franzen was kind of a surprise because he seemed like he was playing well. I mean, he, he was just not playing all the time because we had, you know, Osterley was playing well. And Ruda, Ruda was having a hard time getting back in the lineup after an injury. Because, you know, with Kempney there, <laughs> excuse me, all the, all the defensemen were actually playing pretty well. So I I was really shocked.
1: Our friend, uh, our friend Al Samaglia had a good point on, on the Twitters the other day. And, and uh, he was talking about how it it really looks like they're going for a a much faster lineup on the, on the blue line. And, and, you know, Franson doesn't fit that. And then our, and then Seabrook got sad for a game, um, which was, I mean, it it was kind of sad to see really. I mean, this is a guy who's been a cornerstone of this franchise the last decade and or more. And uh but it was good to see him come back and get a goal last night. But um I it does seem like they are going for more speed on the back end. Um and uh with Elster Lee uh getting Kevney back in the lineup. Um, you know, and Gustafsson, yeah, he'll he'll probably get a chance to play. Um quite honestly, um you know, Gustafson's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a guy who, who like Osterley, he's better coming up the ice with the puck and in the offensive zone, I think sometimes than he is in the defensive zone. And, you know, maybe that's changed since he was up a couple of years ago. We'll see. Um, but, uh, he's not a guy that I would say, well, I have to play him and sit Kempney down. I mean, um, Kempney can do some things that other defensemen can't do with his speed and, uh, you know, his physicality, although he's still making mistakes too, but, um, um, you know, it does seem like that's what they're going for. And that's probably a big part of why they sent Franzen down. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, Quenville did say that uh, he doesn't see like, uh, Cody Franzen's, you know, Blackhawks career being, you know, over. Uh, so he, he right. may, he make, may, may make an appearance down the road. So. I well,
1: guess. if they make the playoffs, he'll probably be the seventh or eighth defenseman. I pretty much, yeah. you can pretty much guarantee that. Yeah. yeah if he's still sure. with the organization at that point.
0: Right. And, uh, so I mean, you know, Eric Gustafson, good because he's been playing really well. Um, Thomas Yurko, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know more what they probably. think they're gonna. I don't know what they think they're gonna get out of him over you know, uh, John Hayden. But okay, he's faster. Maybe <laughs> he's probably faster. But other than that, yeah, I don't know I mean, you're gonna get anything out more out of him. And I don't know you could put him on a fourth line and he's gonna do anything. So where are you gonna put him in the lineup, especially with something that we're gonna talk about a little later that just happened? Um, yeah. So yeah,
1: I, he, I hear he's going to play tomorrow night.
0: Yeah. So, Blair, so yeah,
1: we can talk about that too. Cause yeah, I, have, we I have some thoughts on that too.
0: Yeah, we will. So before we do that, I'm just, we're, we're teasing the good stuff to the end. So I think now is time where we will take a little bit of a break and we're going to bring in our little, we're going to bring our, our, our guest for tonight. We're going to talk a little bit more about goalies and, uh, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, Here we go. Joining us tonight, as I teased a little bit earlier, um, someone who you may not be familiar with just yet, but you will be shortly. Uh, He's an author, occasional emergency backup goalie for the Colorado Avalanche, goalie skills instructor, head honcho over at the website, the Goalie Guild, and most importantly, fellow metalhead, uh, Justin Goldman. Hello, sir. How are you?
2: I'm good, man. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. So um, we got talking just oddly about metal because we have a lot of the same taste in music over both goalies. You're obviously a lot more involved in goaltending than I am, but uh, so for the people who aren't really familiar with your site or what you do, kind of give me the rundown of what what you do or what you guys do over at your site. Give me, give me a little lowdown.
2: Yeah. So the goalie guild originally started way back in 2009. as basically just like a goaltending analysis website. Um, I was doing radio broadcasting for the Colorado Avalanches flagship station here in Denver at the time. So I had my press credential and basically I would go to every single game. And obviously I was taking notes on the goalies. Right. So I was writing scouting reports for every single goalie that came through Pepsi Center uh, for almost six years, actually. So I did that from 2006 until almost 2012. And You know, that's what got me into my gig with NHL.com. And I did that for four years. And that led to the opportunity with USA Hockey as a goalie scout in Minnesota. So one thing kind of built on the other. And that's really how the Goalie Guild kind of evolved into this, you know, goalie centric analysis slash independent scouting website. Um, After I published my second book in 2014, I decided to transition the Goalie Guild into a nonprofit foundation. Because, as you know, you're a goalie yourself. It's mm-hmm. such an expensive sport. Yep. There's so many barriers for kids these days to become goalies. I mean, first you got to have the ice, then you've got to have some type of coaching, and then you got to have 50 billion dollars just to, you know, just to put the gear on and get on a team. So because there's so many barriers of entry to becoming a full-time goalie, especially if you're an area, you know, that's not a non-traditional, that's not a traditional hockey market. um, There has to be some type of foundation out there that supports goalies, educates them and helps develop, you know, goaltending at the grassroots level. And so that's really where I've kind of steered my career in goaltending towards um, over the past three years.
0: That's awesome. That's all great stuff, man. That's Bravo to you guys <laughs> and what you're doing over there. That's, that's awesome stuff. Now, you did men- we did mention uh, your author of th- four books. I'll say four books. Um, one is The Power Within, Discovering the Path to Elite Goaltending. The other one is Between Two Worlds, Discovering New Realms of Goaltending Development. Uh, the third one is Embracing the Grind. And then you also have this periodic table of goaltending elements, which I think is pretty badass. I'm actually going to get one and hang it on my wall because it it, it's right up my alley so uh that's all really cool
2: yeah that's that's the ultimate like goalie nerd project right there because if you like science and you like goaltending i mean they kind of go hand in hand to begin with and it was really that that's awesome like the poster is awesome by itself but it was really cool to work with the graphic designer to put together the actual book and then we made flashcards so like younger kids who maybe they saw a goalie on TV and like, it's their new cool thing that they want to do. They can learn a lot of the basic, you know, terms that we use as goalie geeks, you know, and get them even more excited about playing the position. So it's a really cool project. Cause that one was like, it's different from the other three books. Cause this one's all geared about like all geared towards the kids. And so that was why, you know, it was really fun for me to put together.
0: Yeah. That's, that's all really good stuff because in the lower levels, um, you don't necessarily have uh, goaltending specialists all the time. It's it's becoming more common now, but uh, you know a lot of goalies they just throw them in the throw them in the gear and throw them in net and don't teach them anything until later later in their career. And uh, you know if you could if you could teach them when they're young and impressionable and they're first starting out, they're gonna be they're gonna start off so f- much further ahead of all the other goalies in their you know their age group. So.
2: That's, that's absolutely it. I mean, it's funny because every goalie coach wants to develop elite goalies and that should always be the goal, right? You want to be the best you can be. You want to coach at the highest level, but it's also really important to have goalie coaches that really just have a passion for developing the youngsters, you know, the eight and unders or the kids that are still playing cross ice hockey. I mean, you got to have those guys because if you don't have that foundation um, and you don't have that coaching culture at the grassroots levels for goaltenders, it really does put them at a disadvantage compared to some of the other cultures in the world, you know, especially in Scandinavia where kids have goalie coaches from the age of basically four until they turn pro. So that's actually what I've been trying to accomplish here in the United States you know, I was with USA Hockey for three years officially, and now I just kind of help as a consultant to, you know, help them promote this new goalie development program on a national level where we are trying to educate, you know, the team coaches, the head coaches that are in all these youth associations around the country and give them more resources so that they don't just, you know, ignore the goalie or say, oh, well, the goalie's going to go do his own thing. Like, we want to educate all these coaches at the youth levels so that, They have some foundation to work with or at least some basic resources to, you know, even if it's spending five or ten minutes with the goalie at the beginning of practice, you know, actually doing goalie specific movements and getting them warmed up. It makes such a huge difference over the course of those, like you said, impressionable years between the ages of eight and 12 when they're just trying to get comfortable, you know, in all of that gear and get comfortable being a full time goalie. So it's a it's a, you know, probably 10, 15 year process here in North America because we're really kind of starting from scratch, but the work that USA hockey has done in that regard just in the last few years has been amazing. And it's really exciting to kind of see it um, evolve for the first time around the country.
0: That's, that's cool. That's awesome stuff. Well, for, for all the goalie geeks out there who are now, you know, like, like me, I know John, John is tuning out right now.
2: <laughs>
0: He's actually <laughs> tweeting as, as we're doing this right now, but um, I will just say there are, there are a couple things. Like I, I mentioned the, uh, the, the periodic table of goalie elements on your website, something very cool. The uh the finished goalie t-shirt, bad at the, skull, the the goalie skull t-shirt, very badass. Yep. Those are I'm going to have one of those. It's like on the that's right up my alley. That's like that's yeah. metal goaltending right there.
2: It's uh you will not believe like how much fun we had making that t-shirt design and my really good buddy Carl um who lives out here in Denver, he's he's been doing a lot of my graphics. Like he did the graphics for three of the book covers and you know we are big metal heads um it was a lot of fun to put that together and obviously you know i married i married a finnish woman last year and uh so that was you know finland's like my second home now and Finnish cool. metal finish goaltending i mean nothing goes together better than hockey and metal and goaltending and metal especially so that was a lot of fun to do and you're definitely getting a shirt man a shirt and a poster it's gonna be uh, <laughs> Thanks, headed your way thanks man Um, before the weekend so no worries (laughs)
0: awesome man thank you very much um so um we're gonna we're gonna kind of we're gonna talk about metal too um (laughs) but we're gonna kind of we're gonna kind of transition over a little bit to uh more blackhawk centric stuff since you know that's what we 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 really cover right here at the at the rink um so we've been talking for a couple weeks I, i so i wanted you to be able to gather your stuff together and everything but um So, moving over a little bit into Blackhawks land, getting away from, you know, just general goaltending stuff, um, we had some interesting stuff happen here in Chicago just recently with, you know, everything seemed real stable, Corey Crawford was back from injury, everything was cool, and then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Uh, Corey Crawford came up with this mysterious injury, which then led to uh, Anton Forsberg being the starting goalie, then... Jeff Brubee would have been the next guy in line to be the backup, but he was hurt down in the AHL. So Jeff Glass, who was then the starter at the AHL, was then moved up to the NHL. So, and then, eventually moved up to you know starter for a couple of games. So um, and then Callandilia was moved from the ECHL to start in the AHL. So that's where we we kind of we kind of sat for a while. Um, you have some insight on Jeff Glass, so why don't you kind of give us your 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 insight? I know you've talked with the Black Talks, you know. Uh, one of the Blackhawks goaltending coaches about Glass and everything, so kind of you know let's let the 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 Blackhawks world know a little bit more about uh, Jeff Glass.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's absolutely unreal that um, a goalie who's over the age of thirty can spend six, seven seasons playing in the KHL, and then because of injuries and because of just some freak situations, all of a sudden he's making saves and, and earning points in the NHL. I mean, that just doesn't happen in this day and age. I don't think you can look back at the history of goalies in the last 20 years coming over from the KHL. And unless you're a stud like Sergei Bobrovsky or, or a goalie like Semyon Varlamov, I mean, it just doesn't happen to a guy that's over 30. That's basically a quote unquote, you know, full-time minor league goalie. So First and foremost, the journey that Jeff Glass has gone to to get to this point and to earn these starts, while Corey Crawford is out, is is absolutely phenomenal. And I think, from my perspective as a guy on the outside looking in, um, you you have to realize that like when you watch Jeff Glass play a game, um, you're watching like two and a half hours of you know his entire life. That's it. So you're seeing such a small window of what he has to do to prepare his body and prepare his mind for literally the biggest games in his entire life. So if you start to look at the process that he had to go through, um, whether it was when he was still playing in the KHL, you know, continuing to grind it out in that league, or it was coming into training camp um, in the best shape of his life, then you start to understand how tough it is to have success at the NHL level, especially on a team like the Blackhawks, where it's literally Corey Crawford or bust. So I think that alone should bring more appreciation um, to any of the fans out there in Blackhawk land that may not, you know, think he's the best goalie or, or you know, they're expecting him to be um, this savior. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I did get a chance to exchange some messages with Peter Aubrey who is a friend of mine and is, is you know, doing an unbelievable job as the goaltending development coach for the Blackhawks. And he had some really great things to say. I mean, first of all, he talked about Jeff's you know, work ethic um, and his character and his attitude. And I think, again, if you're a 32-year-old goalie who's been playing in Russia for the past six or seven years, You don't get this opportunity with the Blackhawks unless you do have an unreal work ethic and you do have a great attitude and you are a great guy in the locker room. So that's kind of, you know, it's, it's always great to hear that because you want to hear that about goalies, but, um, it's, I don't want to say it's cliche, but it's just something you come to expect when you've been around goaltending long enough. But the thing that he said to me that really, um, kind of piqued my interest was the fact that he came in leaner than ever before this season. So To know that, again, it's all about the process. It's not just the two and a half hours that you see when the game is being played. It's everything else that he does to his body to prepare for these games. It's the nutrition side. It's the hours in the weight room. It's um, making sure he's flexible, you know, making sure that the muscles are loose, the eyes are working with the hands. It's all the other things that go into that daily routine Um, and the practices as well. I mean, it is such a grind. That you have to really give him a lot of credit for the journey that he's traveled and taking advantage of this rare opportunity uh, to play some games for the Blackhawks. So I honestly think it's like the story of the year when it comes to goaltending because it is such a rare thing to see a goalie that's over the age of thirty um, come over from the KHL and have this this kind of opportunity and this kind of success. And uh, again, I will, you know, I kind of want to stress the fact that no, Jeff glass is not like the quickest guy or have the best. He doesn't have the best reflexes, but again, if you get yourself into position early, if you have quiet feet and you have good eyes and you have um, consistency in your movements, you can have success at the NHL level, even if you've never played a game there before. So I think it's just a great story because it shows you that, um, there are as many styles as there are goalies in the world. There's many different ways to stop the puck. And even if you're way past your quote-unquote prime, um, if your body starts to give way a little bit and you're not as quick as you used to or you're not as athletic as you used to, hey, if you're consistent and you've got good preparation skills and you know how to read plays, you can still have success. And I think that's what kind of defines um, the Jeff glass story right now. And it's just an unreal story. Like for goalie geeks, I think it's the coolest thing ever. So I'm all about it. And I, I hope he continues to get some more starts and have more success with the Blackhawks.
0: Yeah. That's the, the thing with, with glass. And, and it's, it's the typical thing here in Chicago. It's the, the backup quarterback for the bears. It's the, the the short, slow, white outfielder for the Cubs. It's the backup goalie for the Blackhawks. Like it was like this, and and we're going to talk about this in a little bit with Scott Darling. Like everyone thought that Scott Darling was the next coming, you know, the the coming of you know George Vezina. and and like, yeah. Mm-hmm. With people who don't, you know, really know goaltending or aren't goaltenders, they don't necessarily see all things with critical eyes. Um, they just see you know. The big saves, but they don't understand that maybe sometimes the big saves is because you're out of position or things like that. Um, so we tried to keep things, you know, real and 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 down to earth here in Chicago with this, and and the same kind of with Glass. I mean, you like you said, he's he's not the fastest goalie, he's not the biggest goalie. Um, he's sometimes, you know, he, he has shown a tendency to, to, to overslide or overplay the puck, you know, one way or the other. But you know what, he didn't kill you. He, was, he did fine when he was in there. He He's he's not going to be Corey Crawford. You're not going to trade Corey Crawford for Jeff Glass. You're not going to trade Anton Forsberg for Jeff Glass. But he did an admirable job. He didn't kill them. And after being 32 years old and, and being all over the world, it is a great story. And it's kind of catching lightning in a bottle all at once.
2: So. Absolutely. And I, I, I think the biggest thing is like, You know, I'm 35 years old, and when I turned 30, you know, I started to feel my body kind of slowing down just a little bit, and it's always funny because... There, again, there's so many different ways to have success as a goalie at the pro level. I mean, when your body starts to slow down, then, yes, you have to put more time into managing your body. You have to put more time into you know, making sure you're getting the proper rest. It's all these other things that you don't see when you're just watching a hockey game that allow you to have success and be consistent when you are playing the actual game. And I think for a guy like Jeff Glass, like what does he have to lose? Like He wasn't a high draft pick. He didn't sign a huge contract with the Blackhawks. He's not 22 years old getting his first opportunity to play pro hockey. Like he he's been in Russia for seven years. I mean, yeah. it, it's you got to take that into perspective and you got to understand that uh, the process is not just, you know, getting your warm up shots and going into the game and, you know, reacting to everything and making all these highlight reel saves. Like to me, it's about consistency yeah. and Again, when I talked or when I exchanged messages with Peter Aubrey and I got a little bit more insight into why he's having success right now, it's the consistent approach. It's like all the time that he's putting into the practice habits and the routine and all those other things. And, you know, you try and stress that to younger goalies and you try and stress that to fans as well, because it's not just about you know, getting on the headphones and going out there and rocking out and like making all these great saves. It's like, you got to work the other 18 or 20 hours of your day when you're not sleeping and you're not on the ice to make sure that your body is ready. And that becomes even more important after you turn 30 or when you start to feel your body slow down. But for him, I think, you know, in terms of the emotional grind or the emotional, you know, the emotional approach to this, it's like, dude, I have absolutely nothing to lose my time in the NHL could be over tomorrow for something I didn't even do. It's, you know, Corey Crawford is going to come back. Jeff Glass is going to go back down to the AHL at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he makes the most of it and he wins some games, it's like, hey, this is just like the cherry on the top. And he could still play for a few more years. So there's no reason why you can't earn a job somewhere else as a backup or, you know, still have a lot of success in the AHL. There's a lot of guys out there like that. And what makes it so interesting to me, and I hear this all the time from head coaches at the junior level, head coaches in the NCAA, head coaches in pro hockey, they all say the same thing. I want a goalie that can manage his own freaking game, okay? And when you're 32 years old and you know what you have to do, you get there early, you do all those little things, you've got your routine, you just show up and you know what you have to do, that's managing your own game. And coaches love it because they don't got to look down. They don't got to look the other way. They don't got to look behind them. They know, hey, Jeff, it's your time. Get in there. The coach has some confidence because he knows that Jeff's done everything he needs to do to prepare. And that is a big part of being a quote-unquote backup or a third-string goalie at the pro level.
0: Yeah, those are all excellent points. I I completely agree. Some of the things that people don't understand, uh, it's not just putting on pads and standing in (laughs) that. Like, there's so much to it. It's from, like – you know, the preparation of how you're eating all day to, um, you know, how you stretch and, and goalies are, you know, can be very, uh, uh, you know, set in their ways and their and I know I am for sure. Um, so, well,
2: uh, I- Yeah, and I mean, you have to have a meticulous approach to your game plan. I mean, maybe 15 years ago, you would just kind of go out there and, you know, you want to feel good and you want to feel the puck and you want to get those warm-up shots and then that's it. But this is 2018 now. I mean, the way guys release pucks, the way guys shoot pucks, um, how much traffic there is, the layers that you have to see through to track pucks. I mean, you have to have a game plan. Every time you go out on the ice and if you don't have a game plan, you're not going to have success. You're not going to have that consistency. So again, I think that's another thing that proves um, why Jeff glass is in the situation he's in right now with this opportunity, because he has a game plan. Like he knows exactly what he needs to do to make the right saves, make the right reads, track the track the puck appropriately and, and, you know, execute. And I think for the most part, he's done that. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome to see. It's a great story. I think it goes down as the best goaltending story of the year. And, uh, you know, all the credit in the world to him for sticking it out. Cause I don't think you're going to find many guys out there that will, you know, spend seven years in Russia and then wait for that opportunity. Yeah. So it is unreal.
0: Yeah. He's the Hamburglar of this year. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, but believe it or not, we actually have other goalies in the Blackhawks, uh, <laughs> uh, system this year. Um, Anton Forsberg, um, he's a young, you know, young Swedish goalie. Um, you seem to have a little bit of insight as well on him. So, what what, what are you seeing as far as like Anton Forsberg goes? Because he there's kind of a love hate relationship here in Chicago with him because it, it looks to you know sometimes like like an early Corey Crawford, where sometimes they will give up that little soft goal, but uh, they don't look at the whole piece, you know, the whole grand work of what he can do. So,
2: yeah, yeah, you know, and it's kind of interesting you say that because I did get a chance to watch the game uh, against the Wild. And, you know, it's a tough loss because I feel like on both goals, um, maybe that first one was really weird looking, especially if you kind of watch it on replay and try and slow it down. Like it's such a weird deflection over the shoulder and then kind of the same thing on the second goal, right? Early in that third period. Yeah. So a couple of tricky goals and you could tell by his body language after the second one, like he gets up and he turns around and you just like, see that head shake real quick. Like, you know, he wanted that one. Like he feels like he could have had that one. So it's tough because he made some huge saves in that game. He played really well. And like that save on grandland, uh, I think it was late in the second period Mm -hmm. with just like five seconds left. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's getting the, he's getting the taps on the helmet from his teammates, like big saves in a big tight one, one game uh, against a big time rival. So To me, it's you know it just goes to show there's absolutely no margin for error um, when you're in Anton Forsberg's situation, and that's a lot of pressure for I think he's 25 years old, um, a a guy that's trying to establish himself as a full-time NHL goaltender. But um, it's kind of cool if you if you know for what I do um, as a as a goalie guy, you know, working with USA Hockey and. Kind of looking at the bigger picture, um, not just you know individual talent on a nightly basis in the NHL I, I wanted to provide a little historical context on Anton Forsberg sure because I think a lot of people will watch him and say, oh look he's an, here's another like prototypical Swedish goalie like he's big he he blocks a lot and he's really mm-hmm. good down low like on his post deep in his net and mm-hmm. yes that's true. Uh, But there's there's so much more to the picture of Anton Forsberg than just, oh, he's another Swedish goalie. And, you know, again, if I provide a little bit of historical context to this for your listeners and for Blackhawks fans, I think it really helps them understand the fact that this is a guy that, again, is only 25 years old, I believe. I don't know if he's 24 or 25, but he's 25. He's 25. So he's turned 25. Like you know what? That's baby. That's a baby in goalie years, right? Like yeah. unless unless you're Braden Holpe or Carey Price, um, and you emerge as a 21 or a 22 year old and you're an absolute stud. Um, being 25 and having some success at the NHL and showing the potential to be a pretty solid goaltender is is good. Like I'm pretty like okay with where he's at right now. Of course, you want to see him have more success and win these tight games, but he is still pretty much like, he's still pretty early in that development curve for goalies, you know, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the historical context kind of goes back, um, uh, maybe, you know, 15, 16 years ago and Sweden at the time on a national level kind of came together as a, as a hockey nation. And, um, I believe it was after the, the 2000 or 2002 winter Olympics, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was that uh, I think it was Sweden versus Belarus where um, Tommy Sallow took that shot from like center ice and it went off his helmet and went into the net. And it was a huge upset. Mm -hmm. And this like shocked the nation of Sweden and shocked the hockey country and the culture there. And so they came together as a hockey, you know, as a national program and targeted like three different areas that they wanted to work on. And one of the areas was obviously goaltending. And so what they did at the time, I believe this was in 2002, they hired a guy by the name of Tomas Magnusson to build the goalie development program for Sweden. And if you think about it, it took them from like 2002 until maybe 2006, 2007 to get the program established and have this new consistent goalie development curriculum in all of the clubs and programs in the country of Sweden and if you think about it at that time anton forsberg had to have been 7 8 maybe 9 years old so when he starts to develop his game in sweden in modo he's starting to benefit from having a full time goalie coach and this consistent curriculum on how goalies want to make you know want to have success um as a national culture as a national program so then you start to see these guys the anton forsberg Uh, Jacob Markstrom, Eddie Lack, these Swedish goaltenders that you are seeing having success at the pro levels in North America, they all look kind of the same. They all have that really good foundation, that strong ability to seal the ice, the great post play shifting you know bumping post to post skate on post sms all that reverse VH stuff like the swedes are the masters of it mm-hmm. because they've had this consistent curriculum within their national development program mm-hmm. for you know 15 years so when anton forsberg you know hey let's not forget seventh round draft pick i believe in yeah. 2011 or 2012 Um, helped Sweden win a gold medal in the world championships in 2012, I believe. And yes, he only played a few games, but the numbers he put up were fantastic. So he really is a product of probably, arguably, the best national goalie development program in the world over the last 15 years. And then he comes over, he starts to work with Ian Clark in Columbus. Ian Clark is like, he's right up there with Mitch Korn and Francois Allaire as like, masterful wizard genius goalie coaches in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So now he's got the luxury of working with a guy like Ian Clark for two or three seasons. And not only that, but watching guys like Sergei Bobrovsky, when he gets the opportunity to practice with him, Eunice Corposalo, who's a really good young goaltender in, in Columbus's system. And Hey, even a veteran guy like Curtis McElhinney, who's kind of seen it all. And he's kind of like another quote unquote, Jeff glass, so mm-hmm. to get this kind of coaching fu- foundation, all those years playing junior hockey and youth hockey in Sweden, and then get the chance to come over and play or uh, train with uh, Ian Clark in Columbus, man, that's that's a pretty good solid foundation and blueprint for success long term. Yeah. But again, if you're yeah. only looking at results on a nightly basis and game to game basis, you're not going to see that. You're not going to understand the process. Yeah. Um, right. So for me where Anton Forsberg's at right now, I, I think, I think Chicago's got a really good goalie in their system with him. And uh, man, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but I want to say his contract is, is under a million dollars. Maybe it's like, boom, that's a steal. Yeah. That's a, that's a steal
0: for two more years. And then he's an RFA after that.
2: Yeah. And what he's, he's, he just turned 25. So Again, you look at Jeff Glass, you say, What do, what has he got to lose? Like what you're not putting a lot of money his way. He's not being asked to be another Corey Crawford. He is what he is. He's he's very affordable. He's still emerging. He's still finding his game. He's still, you know, working through some kinks in his game. And man, I thought he looked pretty darn good last night. Um I don't know about the games before that, but against Minnesota, I thought he looked pretty, pretty darn good. Um, so again, the historical context about how Sweden's been developing their goalies and like how well they've mastered, um, that national program and why, if you watch Swedish goalies, they all kind of look a little bit similar. It's, I don't want to get too technical with, with the style of play and stuff like that, but like it's seal the ice first and build from the ice up. Right. And it's, get into that blocking position first and then build that wall and then react from there. Yeah. yeah. And if you watch Anton Forsberg, yes, maybe he does look a little bit robotic or maybe he does look a little quote unquote, unathletic to the untrained eye, but man, he is so good at sealing the ice. He's really good on his posts. You can see him get both skate blades on the post. So he kind of does the Sergei Bobrovsky thing where the pads seal the ice and then it's just shifting his upper body. And that's like, it's not easy to do, first of all. So I'm not gonna go out and try that. But man, does that make things really easy because the ice is sealed and now you're just shifting your upper body post to post and you're focused on tracking the puck. Right. So like there there's so much more to his game than what you just kind of see on a nightly basis. And man, you gotta let him get through some of these quote unquote crappy starts you got to let him mature this this is how he matures and if he only costs $650,000 what are you really losing when you know you're going to get Corey Crawford back at some point in the near future so I I think it's yeah
1: Justin you're saying a lot of the same things you're saying it a lot more eloquently (laughs) but in terms of what you have to do with a kid like Forsberg is kind of sit back and and take take this opportunity with Crawford being out to let him play and let him work through some of this stuff um, because you know, I, I don't know a lot about goalies and I, will be the first to admit that, but there's, there are qualities about Forsberg that I really like. And I, I've had the opportunity to see him play a little more over the last couple of years than a lot of, a lot of Hawk fans. Cause I live in Ohio. And, um, so I, I'm, I'm a fan of his and I just, I see the way he, he works at times and some of the saves he makes. And and granted, there are, there are some flaws there, especially when he's, when he overplays pucks. But um, it just seems like they, they've got to let them work through this because there's some talent there too.
2: Yeah. And, and I love the fact that you say that because for one reason only, you got to remember that you've got 50 contracts to work with and you're developing assets. Mm-hmm. And these assets are probably going to help you in the playoff push when trade deadline comes around. So if the Blackhawks need some help on, on you know scoring goals or whatever they need help with – And Anton Forsberg, you let him work through those kinks. You let scouts from other teams see what he's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He continues to figure out that process. You're building an asset that costs you less than, you know, whatever, Mm $650,000. And, you know, you might develop him into an asset that brings you, you know, a $2 million guy in return. And everyone wants that big Swedish goalie. I mean, how many chances have Jacob Markstrom had before he finally settled into a good role with Vancouver? Um, you know, Eddie lacks had so many opportunities and unfortunately things just haven't worked out for him, but like everyone wants the big Finn, everyone wants the big Swedish goalie and there's a lot of merit to it because, you know, like I talked about the historical context of how goalies develop in Scandinavia is, is maybe a little bit more, um, consistent and, you know, they've been doing it for longer times as, as a, on a national scale, but man, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, you've had the luxury of seeing him more often. So maybe you see more consistency in his game, but again, he's 25 years old and he costs you 650 K like I'm all in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now <laughs> I tried to break it down a little earlier. We, John and I are a little earlier. We're kind of talking about the game and I tried to kind of, break it down for people who aren't goaltending geeks like we are, uh, where I, where I said, okay, yeah, maybe a couple of those goals. They didn't look pretty. They really didn't. Um, to the naked eye, sure, yeah. It may look like he gave up a weak goal. But if you look back and you watch the whole body of work that he had that game, he stopped yeah. three breakaways. He had how many mm-hmm. high-danger chances that he stopped. I mean, if you if you, if you you offset that, he's still up by three or four different saves that he, he actually saved his team on. So yeah. it could have been four to one or whatever, you know, if he would have given up, you know, two of those breakaways or a couple of those high-danger chances. So, you know you know, take the good with the bad and, and, and just understand that, you know what, if you, if he makes those two, those two saves that look a little bit questionable, but he gives up two breakaway goals, it's still the same result. Mm
2: -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and again, it's easy for me. Like I come on these podcasts that are team centric. Um, and I always have that outside perspective. It's really easy for me to say like, Hey, full body of work, big picture, big picture for fans. I know it's probably gut wrenching to, to have these two points on the line against a team like Minnesota and, and see it slip away on a goal that, that, you know, he could have had, right? Like a save that he probably makes most of the time, but, You know, in the NHL, there's just no room for error and pucks do weird things in NHL games, especially when the intensity racks up and it starts to get closer to the playoff push. Like pucks do really weird things that you don't see happen in practice and you don't see happen in, in, in other levels. And it's, it's, it's almost like a phenomenon to me. And I've, I've been around, um, NHL hockey long enough to kind of see this a little bit for myself. And I've, I've been so lucky to be on the ice with NHL goalies for the past three summers in in Madison. And I see it with my own eyes on the ice. Like it is amazing how talented these guys are and how well they move for how big they are. Yeah. Like, You know, athleticism, we talked, we touched on this real briefly before. Athleticism for goaltenders is very different than what it might have been considered 10, 12 years ago. Athleticism now is all about body control. Yeah. And it's moving as little as possible to be as square and as set as possible when that puck is being released. So you don't have to reach for pucks. So you're not overextending and giving up bad rebounds. And to see how these guys move. Um, when you're on the ice and you're watching a guy like Joe Pavelski rip an 80 mile an hour wrist shot that you can't even like the release is a blur, it's phenomenal how good even goalies like, like Jeff glass and Curtis McElhinney are. So again, it's always easy for me to kind of say the big picture and look at the big picture, but you have to preach that to the diehard fans because they have to understand that it's a process. And if you just look at game-to-game results, you're going to be so frustrated with goalies for the rest of your life. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's yeah. something I always have to preach, but it, it makes it kind of fun at the same time. Yeah,
0: well, and and that's a great thing because that's what we're doing at the rank. We're, we're we have you know Coach Bob Rose who talks about your skills and things like that. So we're trying to break it down for the fans who, do, who may not understand that process and the whole body of work and all that you know preparation and things like that. So this is perfect mm-hmm. right up that alley. So but anyway, um, kind of moving out of the NHL realm of things, um, we we have a favorite here. It started over at the Puck and Hostel <laughs> website, um, and that's uh, <laughs> hashtag uh, the Rink Legend Colin Delia, um, who is. Uh, loosely a friend of the pro, friend of the website friend front of the program uh we saw him for the past two years at um prospect camp i became a fan of his uh two years ago at prospect camp i thought i really liked what i saw out of him he was just a free agent goalie free agent uh invitee i was really impressed with what i saw compared to his peers on the on the rink and uh, i kind of stayed with him all all year as he played in college and then Um, I I found out that he was going to be, you know, at at camp again this year, so that obviously told me that the Blackhawks and Peter Aubrey were looking at him more seriously They wanted to have him back again this year, and he played very well. He was probably the best player in in prospect camp, and uh, I was beating that drum like crazy. And sure (laughs) enough, he earned a contract, and uh, Calendelia, you know, know, was playing in the Blackhawks organization, which is great because I, I, you know, nothing makes me feel better than being right. So, yeah. so, but you have a little bit of insight as well on, on our boy Calendelia. So uh, what, what do you have on, on, on our boy?
2: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, he, here's a guy from, from California, um, which is already, you know, road less traveled, right. Um, especially when he was growing up, you know, probably didn't have a lot of opportunities to get a lot of exposure, you know, high, have high level coaching, but this is a guy who's, honestly extremely gifted in terms of his athleticism and, and just his natural skills. And it's really funny because um, when I when I kind of stopped, stopped doing the radio gig here in Denver for the, for the avalanche back in, back in 2012, I moved to Minnesota um, to you know continue my, my goalie journey here. and that's how I kind of got hooked up with, with USA hockey. So every year at the beginning of September, uh, the NAHL, has this huge showcase in Blaine, which is like an eight rink facility, um, you know, about forty-five minutes north north of uh, Minneapolis, and tons of scouts. I mean, you're you're talking about college scouts, junior scouts, pro scouts. It the building, you know, every single rink in that huge facility is full of scouts. And you know, I was kind of there as an independent guy, you know, obviously doing the scouting reports for the goalie guild, and I was writing for NHL.com at the time, and just kind of getting tied in with USA Hockey and. And I go to this scouting showcase and I go to this NHL showcase and Amarillo bulls is probably not the first team you would probably want to watch. Um, and I'd never heard of this guy before. And here's Colin Delia, you know, making the start for Amarillo five minutes into the game. I was like, wow, this, this kid's special. Like I was not expecting this. Like he, he's on top of everything. Um, his footwork, his athleticism, his reflexes, his ability to track like everything he was doing. Just what I was just like, yeah. Oh, this is, man, this kid's good. Oh man, this kid's good. Like he had an unreal weekend, Um, unreal season with Amarillo, which again, clearly not a traditional hockey market. And this was, you know, five years ago. So this was when the NHL, NAHL wasn't really known for producing goalies. Like this was um, around the same time Connor Hellebuck was in the NAHL and um, Anthony Stolarz, who's a prospect with, with the Philly, Philly Flyers was, you know, starting to kind of make a name for himself. And so this is right at kind of the beginning of the NAHL becoming known as kind of this little goalie factory. And Colin's a big part of that because he had 10 shutouts that season, you know, sparkling statistics. Uh, I think Amarillo went pretty deep in the NAHL playoffs. I can't remember exactly. It was so long ago now. And and sure enough, like when I saw that he committed to Merrimack, I, you just kind of knew that he was going to have success there, and you kind of knew that he was on this path um, to becoming a pro goaltender. And you know, back in that, back in those years, like 2012 to 2014, when he was going from juniors to the college ranks, he's working with a goalie coach over the summer named Mike Valley. Mm-hmm. And you know, clearly, Mike Valley and I have a great relationship. We've written the two books together, and he's done awesome things with the Dallas Stars. Organization for six or seven years, and and, you know, again, whenever a junior goalie gets the opportunity to to train with a NHL goalie coach, um, that's always going to breed some success and some confidence. It may not always work out in terms of translating to the pro game, but that goalie is giving himself an opportunity to learn from one of the brightest goalie minds in the world. And so, again, just all these good things were happening to Colin, like he's getting the games at Merrimack. Um, he was having success when he was given, you know, opportunities to play big games. And then again, like you kind of mentioned, like he's, um, an unrestricted free agent. He gets this invite to the Blackhawks camp and then boom, things happened really quickly. Right. Like yeah. he goes to camp, he signs a contract. Next thing you know, he's playing pro hockey games. Yeah. And man, if you want to talk about, you know, like I said earlier, there are as many styles as there are goalies. The same goes for that, for that process or that path to pro hockey, like, every journey is so different there's of course you can kind of generalize and say yeah like goalies will quote unquote mature when they're in their late 20s or whatever the case may be but like in terms of getting to that pro level or kind of building that pro blueprint it can happen really fast for some guys and I think that's what's happening with Colin like he's getting these opportunities to play these ECHL and AHL games because of injury Mm -hmm. and it's kind of fast tracking him and I think You know, again, it's tough because I haven't seen him play in these games. It's really tough. Like, I don't like to watch greeny video of goalies. It's just, it doesn't really do me any good. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you can't just look at a stat line and be like, oh, he's got a sub 900 save percentage. He's terrible. Like, it doesn't work like that, especially in the minor leagues. So from everything I've heard and from what I've been able to, like, decipher, kind of um, read about, and and especially, like, you, you know, I know he had a really big game in his hometown or, like, in his home state, Um, against Ontario and and had a big win there like this is huge for him what an opportunity like I'm sure he's soaking it in I'm sure he's just like loving every minute that he's on the ice every minute that he's getting a chance to practice with Rockford and and spend time with Peter Aubrey like he's got to be soaking it in because you know this is a rare opportunity and when you're having fun and you're getting this opportunity that most guys just never really get you're going to have, you're going to have success because you're going out and you're yeah. playing and you're having fun. Right. So right. I, I think it's an awesome story. Um, yeah. I've spoken to Colin many times. Um, I've met him face to face. I think he's got the pro mentality. I think he's got the the physical skills. I think he's got the mental skills and now it's just a matter of trusting that process. And Hey, you know what, Colin, if it takes until you're 30 to get that NHL start, I hope you're still plugging away. Cause I think he could be really good. And I think he is a great signing by, yeah. the, by the Blackhawks.
0: Yeah, there was there was a little bit of craziness going on at the beginning of the year, and I think he, he kind of got started off on the wrong foot, and, and a lot of that had to do with he was he was spending all, all the weekends in Indy, playing in Indianapolis, but then during the during the week, they would send him to Rockford to work with Aubrey and them. So he's doing mm-hmm. all this traveling. He's not spending the week with the team, and then he's going and playing in front of this team on the weekends. It was a lot of weirdness going on, so I'm, I'm glad it's kind of really, uh you know, kind of, smoothing itself out right now. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, embrace the weirdness, right? Because that's, that's what you need. And again, it's the, it's the outside perspective. So it's easy for me to say that, but fans want him winning games and they want him getting shutouts, but he, I, I'm sure he's embracing the weirdness because that's only going to make him better when it really counts when he's getting those opportunities with the Blackhawks. And I I will say this because I do spend a lot of time scouting college goalies and and mentoring a lot of college goalies. Mm -hmm. Like the college game is very different because it's not an everyday league. You're not playing games every day. You're practicing every day, but you're also going to school, and you're also hanging out with your buddies, and it's the college lifestyle. So going from a not-everyday league to the ECHL slash AHL, where it's an everyday league, like you better be ready to practice like you're going to play, and you be, better be ready to play like it's the biggest game of your life, I mean, that's a huge adjustment for a guy like Colin who didn't get drafted um went yeah. to the development camp and signed a contract out of development camp like that's a huge shift and a huge adjustment so you got to take the good with the bad and I know that's easy for me to say in the position that I'm in but you got to reinforce it because it, it's he's a young guy and yeah. he's really getting uh he's very impressionable so yeah it's it's a really cool story I think he is kind of a he always has unreal setups like he had that all white coho setup when he was with Amarillo yeah. and I was really pumped when he started to put some color into his past. Me too. And, and I uh, love
0: Brian's equipment too. So,
2: Oh yeah. Brian's yeah. the vintage Brian's look yeah. is like, it's, it's, he's got it dialed in. So I'm <laughs> John's a, falling I'm asleep. Pretty,
0: not right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a pretty
2: big Delia fan and, yeah. you know, embrace the weirdness. Cause that's what goaltending is yeah. kind of all about these he's, days. Every, everyone
0: that's, that's talked to him, all the people out in Rockford, just say what a wonderful kid he is. I, I haven't spoken mm-hmm. to him, uh, you know personally, but uh, I do have contact with his mother and father, and uh, everything, every report that I've heard is he's just such a wonderful kid. But so, yeah, um, wrapping up a little bit, um, I want to give you know everyone who's the Scott Darling fan who thinks that you know they should retrade for Scott Darling and get rid of Corey Crawford. Well, you have some insight on Scott Darling, so I want to give a little bit of a uh, special nugget here. We'll just uh, you know do a little bit of quick uh, talk about you know some some music and then we'll let you go for the night. So um, give us a little bit of insight on our, uh, Lamont, quote unquote Lamont native Scott Darling, <laughs> uh, the fan's um, favorite backup goalie.
2: Scott Darling's an amazing guy. And, you know, I, have been fortunate to know him, um, for four or five years now. I met him, um, when he was trying to make his comeback and he was training out in Boston with stop It goaltending with Brian DeCord and, and the guys over at stop It goaltending. They're all amazing guys. Some of the best goalie goalie coaches in the entire country and um this was before scott signed a pro contract to play with um the milwaukee admirals so mm-hmm. he was kind of nashville's quote-unquote fifth goalie and mitch corn you know gave him the opportunity when mitch was still the goalie coach for nashville you know mitch gave scott the, the opportunity that he needed to kind of turn his whole career and his whole life around and so um you know, just knowing what Scotty had to go through to, to win a Stanley Cup and to get to where he is now with Carolina, it's almost like one of those things that are, will will turn into a movie someday because it's just not it's, – it's out of this world to go from, you know, having nothing and being at the bottom of the barrel to winning a Stanley Cup maybe three years later. So that alone is incredible, but – you know, I've been fortunate. Scotty, Scotty comes out to the uh, the NHL goalie camp that I that I do video for in Madison so we get a chance to spend some time together and you know I stay out of the way for the most part I I part Mm -hmm. I don't really talk to the guys I'm not there to be buddies with them Mm -hmm. I'm there to do my job and and again stay out of the way but when I do get a chance to talk to Scott it's amazing because you know what he's gone through and you know how hard he's working to continue to you know become the starting full-time NHL goalie with Carolina Mm -hmm. and he was really really nice to us and, and opened up and told his whole story in the book that Mike and I wrote called embracing the grind. And he's like the poster child for that book, for that title, because what other grind is as bad as, you know, being dealing with alcohol and then trying to find a way to revive your life and, and your, your, your soul and your spirit, right? Cause he is a goalie through and through. And one of the coolest things that came out of his interview in the book and his chapter in the book, and you can read it is you know, and he said this no so nonchalantly. He's like, yeah, I puke before every start. And we're like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I puke before every start. And we're like, what you, you mean like every game that you, that you play? He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I puke. It's no big deal. Like guys think it's funny. Like Corey Crawford laughs about it all the time. And we're just like, are you serious? Like, is this a real thing? And it's just one, you know, it's just one of those things, I guess. It's like, it's like he started doing it and he's got the nerves and then he feels great afterwards. So it just kind of became part of his routine. And he told some really funny stories about like when he was on the road. So if he's, you know, playing the Islanders and the, the training staff has to kind of help him find a way to get into the bathroom and, and you know, puke and get ready for the game and stuff. And some of the guys just thought it was like, he'd said in the book, like Corey Crawford just kind of laughed at him. Like he thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. And so just the fact that like Scotty was, willing to kind of open up about that and tell that story I think proves a lot about his maturity process because here's a guy that like, you know, I would think most goalies probably wouldn't like, you know, be so upfront about something like that because that can be seen as super weird or whatever the case may be. But like for him to just be like, Oh yeah, I just, you know, before every start, you know, (laughs) is just like awesome to me? Yeah, that is great. Um, that's a great story and and he really drops a lot of other cool little like nuggets in that in that chapter in the book and um i just i think the world of him because not many people out there could ever do something like that and and of course you know you got to be lucky but at the same time you you kind of make your own luck if you work really hard and you want something bad enough so it, it's a great story for not just goalies but like any human being in the world so I think the world of him and I just wish him all the success in the world as as his career continues
0: that's awesome, awesome. that's a great story now for, for, for you probably you're not even aware of this but um, I actually live probably 15 minutes from where Scott Darling his family lives and where he grew up and I actually was in Lamont just down the street from where he used to live just before, just previous to recording. So it's, it's, you know, it really hits close to home here, but we, and we give Scott yeah. Darling a lot of like tongue in cheek crap about, you know, well, not native Scott Darling and the whole narrative they did with all that. But I mean, he really did. I mean, he's the, he's the local kid done good. So yeah. we're, we're, we're yeah, happy for great. him and he's making his money and you know, he's doing his thing. So, yep. So now uh, wrapping this all up kind of, you know, with the goalie stuff, uh, let's kind of step away from the goalie stuff for So, yeah, the, the the common interest that you and I both have, um, other than being goalies, uh, yeah, at different levels, but uh, both being goalies, being goalie geeks, be, you know, and, and the whole thing is that, that we're fans of metal. Um, I'm a big you know like Swedish metal guy. Um, we had Patrick Judge on last week from the band Demon Hunter. Um, we're gonna have uh, Mark from the band Periphery. Uh, come, uh, coming on in a couple weeks. We've been we've been talking with him. He's in Spain, so he's got kind of a kind t- time difference. But you know, I'm a big you know, In Flames, Soil Work, uh, Avatar, uh, the, so so on and so forth. Um, uh, d- and even in the U.S., Disturbed, uh, uh, you know, Slayer, of course, um, mm-hmm. all those bands. i uh, Marth. I spoke. You know, I spent 30 minutes this summer at, at open air talking with Johan from Adam Marth. Uh, his, his wife actually does, you know, teaches yoga to NHL and hockey players at goalies. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, what's your, you know, just, just briefly, I don't want to get too much cause I want to let you go for the night, but you know, what, what kind of yeah. is your, is your, your tie in with, with, uh, with metal?
2: Um, you know, it's funny, like growing up in Texas, um, the big band out there was Pantera, right? Of course. So puck and hassle, yeah, right? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Um, in 1999, when the Dallas stars won the Stanley cup Pantera, you know, they became really good friends over the course of those two, right, right. two, three years. And you probably have heard the stories about how, um, Vinnie Paul and, you know, yep. some of the stars were kind of hanging out one day and they were like, Hey, you guys should, uh, you know, make our entrance song for, you know, when we first hit the ice. And so Vinnie was like, turned to Dimebag and was like, all right, we can do this. We can do this. So. You know, they go into the recording room, like literally, I think the story goes, it's like the same night and they make this awesome pump up song for the stars. And so, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old at the time going to going to uh, stars games with my dad and I'm hearing this like awesome pump up song. I'm like, man, this is this is awesome. Like, I want to play hockey so bad. Like, this is what it's all about, like Mm -hmm. goaltending and metal. It's like, I don't know what it is. And I've tried to explain this to people that aren't metal heads, which is a lot of people out here and I, <laughs> yeah. I tell them all the same thing. I'm like, I think it's, you know, especially since you're a big Swedish metalhead mm-hmm. metalhead, like I am, mm-hmm. like I love the Amon Amarth's like one of my favorite bands. They're quote unquote Viking metal. Yeah. It's like when you put on the mask and you put on your gear, it's like going into battle. You're yeah. going out there, you're putting your life on the line and you're not going to be coy. You're not going to be like wishy washy. Like you're going to go balls to the wall and you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to be victorious. Like you are leading your team onto the ice. You're the last line of defense. You're the one in all the badass gear. And this is what it's all about. Yes. And I think that connection right there is what did me in. And ever since I think I was 15 or 16 years old, I've been, you know, I'm not like the dude with the long hair and all the crazy tattoos and, and like the guys that wear the cut off jackets and stuff. With all <laughs> yeah. The patches. patches on the I, back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would consider myself like I'm not a closet metalhead either because I'm always like tweeting about like metal sometimes even when I you know I rarely tweet these days but I'm like always talking to my buddies about metal I get so fired up about it so I'm just like I'm kind of caught in between the two worlds and for me like it's weird because I treat metal bands kind of like goalies like I dissect them and I want to discover these like unknown bands from these really weird countries that you wouldn't think there's even a metal scene there and like i'm in love with finnish metal and like i married a finnish woman and i love going to <laughs> finland so it's just like this really cool symmetrical relationship between you know being the last line of defense being a goalie and just like loving that heavy metal um you know melody and the kind of music that a and is all about like people think it's like evil stuff but if you actually like listen to the words and you read the lyrics it's motivational stuff and and especially in finland it's like nature-based stuff like they're talking about stuff that's not evil at all and it's not like satanic stuff at all it's like really motivational stuff that's gonna get you pumped up and fired up to go out there and win a battle and there's so much symmetry with goaltending that for me that's kind of how i explain it and it's just really fun like I hope someday that we hang out and we go to a metal show, man, because you for make sure some the best friends of your life when you see live music. Oh yeah, and It doesn't sure. matter if you're into hip hop or country or heavy metal, like live music is such an unreal experience. And it's something that, that I'll do until the day I die. Yeah, <laughs> for
0: sure. Yeah. We're going to get together. We're going to go to some metal shows together for sure. I think, I think we got that bond with the goalie and the metal thing. So for sure. Um, one, uh, you know, I don't know if, I don't even know if you're aware of the story. I've shared the story with uh, Patrick, uh, privately, but, and I think I talked about it on our previous shout kiss and stuff, but, um, the drummer for disturbed, Mike Wengren, um, well, hopefully soon we will get him on the program, but, uh, we're working on that. Um, yeah. Mike,
1: we want you on the show, man. yeah.
0: yeah. Mike Wengren. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're out there. I've known you for a long time. You, you gotta come on our show, but, um, so I've known those guys for a long time back, back when they were do, you know, playing little tiny crappy bars in, in Chicago. And, um, just because we were common friends and then this, that, and the other, well, they would do their intro. Mike was a big hockey fan. He's been a big hockey fan for a long time. And this was, you know, 1998. This was before the Blackhawks became good again. Um, he came out. He would come out uh, during the intro, and he, the song is for, for those of who are familiar with the band was "Down with the Sickness." There's a big, big drum intro to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he would come out Ooh. with with a plastic, uh, with the plastic Cooper-like goalie mask on, painted black but it had the disturbed face on it
2: mm.
0: and he would wear that for the entire first the intro and the entire first song and he kind of retired that once they kind of made it big kind of put it away forever and, and but then later down the road they kind of went into their uh their their retirement blah 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 well when they came out of retirement right after the hawks won the Stanley Cup in 2015. It kind of coincided perfectly. Just about a month or two after the Blackhawks won the Cup, Mike's a big Blackhawks fan. Um, They secretly recorded an album. uh, I believe it was out in Vegas. No one knew about it until they released the first single, and all of a sudden there's a new album coming out. Their first two shows back were at the House of Blues here in Chicago, just after the Blackhawks Mm. had won their Cup. Mike comes out with a drum set. Blackhawks, heads on this double bass, kit. Wearing the mask again, wearing a Blackhawks jersey to open the show. I mean, there was nothing that's cool. I mean that, that it's, it's the greatest. I mean it, it, I, I love Michael to death. He's got a Blackhawks tattoo I mean, it, they're good guys and everything. So just just kind of that's that's yeah. an
2: awesome story. Like it's amazing how deep the connection between hockey and metal goes because the, I mean, I could sit here and list fifty guys yeah. that have that connection, like have the similar passions and you know whether it's Mike McKenna who's you know everyone knows he's a huge metal head yep um you know even Brian Slagle the Brian Slagle the the CEO and owner of Metal Blade Records mm-hmm. like he's owned minor he's been co-owners of minor league hockey teams like he's done a lot for minor league hockey in the United States he's a huge very passionate hockey fan yeah I'm actually going to so try I, and
0: have uh, Slagle on the show I spoke with him uh, this summer too and I'm going to try and have him on the show as well uh, but Robin Lamer, yeah. big in Flames guy.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And he actually was at he was at the uh the the NHL goalie camp, the access camp um in Madison over the summer and he came out and it was awesome to be on the ice with him and just see that in Flames logo, you know, rocking off the side of his mask. And Robin is such an intense dude. Um I, I definitely stayed away from that guy. Like I wasn't <laughs> gonna get in his yeah. in his grill or in his realm at all because when he is on the ice man like he is so laser focused and so intense and uh there's no surprise there that he's a huge metalhead so i it's it's a really cool like i said it's a really cool symbiosis and it's just you know for people that aren't metalheads or just think you know they have like the generic stigma of what metalheads are all about like it's like anything else in life like when you get to know the people that are really in it and you start to understand that Um, it's all about just the passion for music. Mm -hmm. It kind of breaks those barriers down and that's when it's really fun to talk about it because it really is just like passion for music, um, at the end of the day. And uh, again, like the symbiosis between goaltending and metal, like runs so deep and it's so fun. So I definitely, I definitely love that story about disturbed because that's, that's like a really cool story. Yeah. Kind of like the whole Pantera yeah, Pantera sure. story with the stars. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, well, I, I don't want to bore everyone because we can <laughs> geek out on goalies and metal for forever. Um, but I, I think, you know, maybe we'll put put something together, even maybe a special side show. You and I just geek out on metal. Maybe we'll have Brian Slay will join us and just kind of geek out between hockey and metal you know, just is a special bonus kind of thing later down the road. I I just want to thank you, Justin. I want to thank you for taking out, you know, taking time out to, you know, talk goalies and uh, talk about your stuff. Is there anything else you would, you'd like to plug before we let you go?
2: Um, Absolutely not. Just just the And, you know, we are a nonprofit 501 C three foundation. So we're there to support kids and give kids the opportunity to stay on the ice and, and be goalies and, you know, have this passion that will, that will give them a fruitful and happy life. Awesome.
0: Cool, man. Awesome. Well, thanks thank you, Justin. Justin. Yeah. Thanks so much for this. We'll, we'll definitely hook up again. And uh, I'm going to try and make it out maybe at the end of March to uh, see the Blackhawks play the abs. And uh, maybe we could all hang out, have a couple, have a couple drinks, talk about some metal, uh, watch some hockey, do, you know, do whatever out there. <laughs> so thank, right, th- man, thanks I'm a lot for your time, it it now, man. So don't, don't, don't let me down now. I'm expecting you to come out here at the end of March. It's a great time to be in Colorado, so don't let me down. We're, we, I, I, tomorrow we are actually <laughs> looking at the travel plans. I, I can uh, say that right now. So
2: Awesome, right. buddy. Thanks
0: awesome. a lot. All right. We want to thank Justin Goldman again from the Goalie Guild. So um, we left the best for last. The Blackhawks made a move yesterday. They, of course, they always seem to make moves when I'm driving home from work. It always seems to happen. Four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm driving home from work. My phone is blowing up. And the Blackhawks made a trade last night. Surprised everyone, actually. Um, They they sent uh, Dick fucking Panic, Richard Panic, uh, to Arizona with Lauren Dauphin, which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, for Mm -hmm. uh, Anthony Duclair. and, And I can't believe they did this, but they did. They brought back Adam Clendenning. Uh, yeah. the, who's doing the Jeremy Morin treatment this time? His second go around with the Blackhawks. His second go around where they really don't, well, probably don't really want him, but they took him anyway because, um, yeah. uh, you know, Mr. Chayka probably decided he didn't want Condenting anymore, so he said, "You got to take this guy if you want Duclair." So, uh, what do you, what do you think of that? What, what, I mean, you, we, we both wrote pieces this morning about about yeah. this, uh, where you actually called uh, Duclair uh, David Runblad, right? <laughs>
1: Well, not really. I mean, that was probably a little bit of a, uh, of a, uh, hyperbolic blog title, if you will. I mean, I I think it's, it's the, the reason I said that is because Rugbleb was the first, I think of the trades that Bowman has made where he's gone and traded for a guy who, um, was a former high draft pick of another team, a second or first round pick. And, um, you know, a guy who's probably worn out his welcome with one or more other organizations, um, thinking that maybe, you know, Chicago will be the right opportunity for this guy to thrive. Uh, Runblad was the first of those, uh, probably, um, panic was probably the second Tomas Yurko was probably the third. And, um, the latest is probably Anthony Duclair, who ironically enough was acquired for Dick panic. Um, of you know those first three trades you could probably say that panic was the one he kind of hit on and he gives him the big contract and then panic kind of comes out and lays an egg this year and so he shipped off for duclair so you know duclair this is his third organization since he's been in pro hockey um you know the the story is that um he wanted out of Arizona and as a result Arizona wanted him out of Arizona and now he's in Chicago he's he's got skill he's got he's got speed hands um, but you know, he, he, this is his opportunity. Now he's got to put up or shut up and produce cause he'll, I, you know, I, I could see them playing him on left wing with, uh, with Schmaltz and Kane, you know, give him a chance to really put it together and deliver and, uh, you know, s- see what he can do. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, he, he, he could really thrive here. Um, yeah. and if he doesn't, uh, they've cut $1.6 million off their cap hit in terms of annualized cap value for the year, um, and that's you know, a good thing. It gives them some, some more flexibility either at the trade deadline or the summer. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, it's like I said, it's like Bowman's kind of experimenting around the edges of the roster. It's like kind of like buying $10 worth of lottery tickets every week. You know, you don't have that much to lose, really, and why not? Why not give it a shot? So I don't have a big problem with it. It was probably unfair to, uh, to say, file it under Runblad, but, it, but it's that kind of trade. Yeah. You know, it, it's that kind of uh, of a speculative move, you know, and, and uh, Yurko's back up on the roster now. We'll see, you know, see if he gets to play. Um, you know, the whole thing around Yurko, that bull crap that went out into the the Twitters last year that they were after Yurko for six weeks at the trade deadline, please. Yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> if they were, they were sadly mistaken and
1: uh, yeah. they need I mean, to have I their heads examined. As a matter of fact, I know they weren't. They, they, they were after Tomas Tatar. Yeah. And they sort of defaulted to Yurko when they couldn't get to Tatar. And uh, then they're, you know, pushing it out there that they'd been after him for six weeks. And then that guy came in and played and it was like, come on, really? You were after him for six weeks. So we'll see. I mean, maybe, you know, he's healthy this year and maybe, I mean, he was reasonably productive at Rockford and, you know, maybe he'll, he'll show something this time around. It's great, you know, but with these trades, I mean, sometimes these guys work out like, like panic sort of did. And sometimes they don't like Runblad and, you know, likely Yurko. We'll, we'll see with Duclair. I mean, yeah. Duclair's got a lot of skill. He's got a lot of physical ability. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. He's got raw skill. He's got a lot of raw skill. And, and like I kind of said, in my piece, I think uh, it, it to, to this point in time, Um, I think, uh, you know, declare his problem is between his ears. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what it looks like. He's got raw talent and everything, but he's been, you know, now cast away by two different uh, organizations and he's only 22. I mean, That's got to tell you something. Yeah. So um, there's something going on there, but that doesn't mean that he can't come to the Blackhawks and, you know, in, in a very structured organization. Some people may question whether it's really structured, but it is. Um, You know, they're very tight on on what they want to do and uh, how they want their players to act, whether, you know, some players seem to stray from that. But, you know, generally, overall, they want their their players to do certain things a certain way. And and if they don't, you're going to be gone. So uh, maybe that will help him out. Uh, He can come in under some structure with some some veterans that have a a ton of experience. It's not the Coyotes who are struggling, new coach, uh, you know, a lot of question marks, the Black Hawks do have question marks, but they've got a ton of veteran experience here, and a lot of people that could show him how to be a pro. So, um, yeah, it could work out. But I mean, the bottom line is, is they brought they brought panic in, and and basically he they just threw away Jeremy Rowan. They were just trying to get rid of Jeremy Morin, and they brought panic in. And if he worked, he worked. If he didn't, he didn't. It's no loss because they didn't want Morin anyway. So right. they got a year out of him. They got a really good year out of him where he got like forty points. They basically got what, you know, they got everything they could. They squeezed the blood out of the, uh, you know, out of the tournament. And they, you know, they had a really good year this year. He didn't play very well, but you know what? He was starting to come on a little bit. You know what? They didn't want to deal with that cap hit for his little production. That's fine. I'm I'm fine with that. And I was one of Richard Panik's biggest fans last year, but you know, I'm fine with them dumping him. I, you know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. No. So they bring in they bring in duclair who's 22 he's young they've made they, they've they've now become younger and faster um fine great <laughs> you know what give it a shot i don't care I, I don't think he's you know gonna come in and and then um you know the clendenning thing you know i it is what it is <laughs> he's gonna sit down in rockford and he's a fan favorite down there that's fine okay um Lauren Dauphin, you know, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier too. Uh, David Camp has kind of made Lauren Dauphin a little bit expendable. It, that doesn't mean the Blackhawks didn't like him. That means to me, what that tells me in this trade is that John Shaka wanted Lauren Dauphin back in the their organization yep. and yep. didn't want to lose him in the first place. So yep. they, he leveraged the fact that the Blackhawks wanted uh, Anthony Duclair and said, hey, if you want that, we'll take this bigger salary that's not producing off your hands, but you got to give us Dauphin back.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, I've, I've heard some people say, well, Dauphin was just playing fourth line in Rockford. You know, the, what the Hawks do is they slot guys in Rockford the same way they see them in the NHL. So the fact that Dauphin was, was playing fourth line there doesn't mean that Dauphin sucks. It means that the Hawks saw him as a fourth line defense, more defense and grind-oriented player in the NHL. Um, but I do think that Camp is the guy who kind of leapfrogged him Um, to kind of take, really take over that Marcus Kruger job, um, that even Kruger himself wasn't really doing the last couple of years due to injury. Um, and you know, so far, you know, camps put a real stranglehold on that job and to, you know, to the betterment of the whole team, as we talked about earlier. And, uh, you know, I think that made Dauphin, Dauphin expendable and, um, so be it. So Dauphin goes back and we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Duclair and, um, it's uh you know his i believe he's an rfa this summer so if you know if he doesn't work out fine you, you wash your hands of it and move on
0: yeah yeah um and and then two um i kind of want to circle back and this just kind of came to me in my uh mm-hmm. when everyone was watching the world juniors um especially in the championship game uh blackhawks draft pick uh soderstrom uh soderstrom or soderland soder tim soderland sorry i had a brain fart there for a second um Tim Soderlin uh, really showed, uh, you know, some penalty penalty kill prowess. He was like a, you know, just a little firebug down there, uh, penalty killing like crazy. Well, people so quickly forget that in the preseason, Lauren Dauphin was that player. He yeah. was doing that for the Blackhawks in the preseason. He was he yep. was he was a just a just a, a dog on on the uh, on the forecheck for the uh, penalty kill, and he was just tearing people apart. Well. You know, they, again, it was a numbers game. They, they couldn't keep him up, so they had to send him down, and and, and 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 this is where we are. So I think they would have liked to have kept him. They just, they you know, that was the prospect they had to give up to get what they wanted. So that's yeah. where we are. So I think that uh, you got anything more you want to say about the trade? I think we're good, right?
1: Uh, I think we're good on that one.
0: Okay, cool. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap things up. So we've, we've kind of touched on everything. Um. I, we, we did get some questions, but we ran a little bit long, so I'm going to see if maybe I could write a piece. Maybe I could get... Uh, there was a question that was specific for Justin. I may reach out to him, have him uh, just answer that, and maybe we'll just post that up on the website as a piece um, you know, during the week or something like that, because I don't want this to run too long. People complain sometimes if we go too long. So, Anyway, wrapping up, you can find all of our wonderful content at the rink, the-rink.com. Sorry. You can find me on the uh, popular social media at puck and hostel. You could find our site uh, information on all the popular social media at the rink official and at the rinkcast. You can find my cohort here, Mr. Jakel at Jakel J A E C K E L. If you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us. It would really be a big help. If you could do that, we would really appreciate that. Um, I don't want anyone to forget our, premium hockey outfitters at puckhockey.com com. it's p u c k h c k y. dot uh use that discount code the rink uh to get 10 percent off on everything uh i
1: have a plug go I ahead plug. yeah yeah you that's where well, i was going next so go ahead this week where so we've been talking about the, the um long-awaited fantastic phantasmagorical <laughs> uh, rink.com clothing line from puckhockey.com and it is getting closer we saw some uh we saw some early designs on our, on our basic uh logo mark um to go on the clothes and um so we talked about some other things we're going to do and what we're going to do when the line is ready to drop we are going to have our sponsors uh matt marini um possibly amy stefik uh, one or, or both of those guys on the show to talk about puck hockey, their business, um, some of the work they've done with uh, bands and with players like our own Marian Hossa um, and uh, Frederick Anderson, Tomas Tatar, Hampus Lindholm, and some others. Um, It's a a cool business they're in. Um, it, it, It fuses design, hockey, fashion, uh, merchandising. Um, they, they've done a lot of really cool stuff over the years since I've known them. And, uh, we're, you know, we're excited about being working with them. So they're going to be on the show. We're going to talk about their business. We're going to talk about the rink.com clothing line. And, uh, so I I think that's going to be fun. It's going to be a slightly different, uh, different spin on our show for you guys.
0: And also it also melds in and tough. If you don't want to hear it, because this is our show and I'm going to say what I want, but it does meld in uh heavy metal as well. Uh, there's a lot of, yes,
1: yes, it does. they have
0: heavy metal lines and you got the Snoop-a-loop line out there. <laughs> you got the Snoop dog line out there as well for, for those who are right. metal fans. So that's right. Yep. Snoop-a-loop. So, all right. Well, I guess that's uh, all that Oh, you know what? I got one last thing I want to say. Um, I want to send my well wishes out to the Zickus family. Uh, my friend, Mike, um, he's a good friend of mine, a person I respect very greatly. Uh, I played hockey with him for well over 20 years. Um, he's taught me many things. And um, uh, his mother passed away suddenly um, just recently. I was actually I, – I had to go to a wake tonight. So it was unfortunate. Uh, his mother was – great woman um and uh i just want to say that my thoughts my well wishes are going out to their family um at this terrible time right now um i, I know he listens and reads from time to time so mike i love your buddy and uh you know i hope you hope your family uh, hangs in there and we're, we're all thinking about you so um uh, so that being said thanks for taking out the time of your busy schedules to download listen and support us until next week see you on the ring